welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. And today I have a special guest. Uh, he has a really great YouTube channel that I discovered, I think about a year ago, uh, called The Nimitin. And what was cool about it is that he does go into um, sort of thelemic concepts and hermetic concepts, but also uh, has a really unique take on things that I find that it's almost hard to find in thelemic circles or um, golden dawn circles and the fact that he focuses on Jewish Kabbalah. So uh, can you kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and uh, kind of a little bit about your journey and how you ended up um, sort of focusing on Jewish Kabbalah? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, first of all, thanks for having me. It's really nice to be here just to be able to like chat and talk about some stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, actually the journey to Jewish Kabbalah is a lot longer than I think people suspect it to be. Um I really got into true occultism. Now, I mean, I was into some stuff when I was much younger, but I didn't really get into like true occultism uh, very lightly until the Goetia around early college. And that just never really resonated with me. And I ended up becoming a Freemason. Uh, I joined when I was 19 out here in the U S you can join at 18. I joined when I was 19 and I was raised about seven months later, which I know in some areas that's pretty abnormal, but uh, I went through the catechism really quickly and I was pretty good at degree work. So it made it quite simple. Mm -hmm. And then uh, going through masonry for so many years, I became genuinely interested in things like Corpus Hermeticum. Now I'd already read the Corpus uh, before I became a member, but I I didn't really read it. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I just kind of knew there was something weird about it. Uh, Something stood out to me and I'd heard of characters like Aleister Crowley, obviously, um, John D. I knew about him mm-hmm. just through mutual friends. Uh, I had had basically I had had a very light touch on a lot of different subjects over the years. Mm-hmm. And then in Freemasonry, I became far more comfortable with esotericism. Now, it's not because Masonry is itself esoteric by nature, but it's there are esoterically inclined and minded into you know, people inside the Masonic body. Not a lot, but they're around. And uh, of course, me being so interested and invested in masonry from a philosophical perspective, we gravitated to each other really well. Mm. Uh, Those same people would introduce me to a variety of things. And of course, the one book that I always kept hearing come up, even if it was from like a cringy (laughs) new age YouTube channel, you know, was always Zohar. I had always Mm. heard the word Zohar and I was like, okay, well, well, there's something about this book you know, uh, and I had Wikipedia, I'm sure, but it still didn't really like click with me. I just knew it's like, oh, it's some Jewish Kabbalah book, you know, mm-hmm. um, later in life, I later in life, not really. I mean, I was, I was still very young, but mm-hmm. uh, post that I ended up, uh, I was at a relative's house. I was at a relative's house and uh, I was walking past their bookshelf and I saw a Hebrew letter, a left on it. Hmm. On, on, a, on the spine of a book and I was like what the hell is that and I pulled it out and sure enough it said the Zohar on the front hmm. and I was like where did you get this you know and they were like oh you know I got it with some group spirituality package or something which at the time I was very antagonistic you know I thought any, I, I really thought the word spiritual itself was kind of um, not <laughs> for me you know I was weird about it kind of corny <laughs> yeah exactly yeah overused very corny but whatever, you know, and I looked at it and I was like, do you want it? And they were like, well, yeah, it's mine. And I was like, well, have you read it? And they were like, well, no, I haven't. And I was like, I will gladly borrow it 
and uh, <laughs> I still have it. It's years later. It's still in my room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they never got it back. They know I have it, and they've asked for it, but I know they won't read it. So, so yeah, uh, I found the Zohar, and um, I went absolutely bananas. Uh, you hear about people finding something that really resonates with them and they just become addicted to it. I 100% became addicted to the Zohar. Uh, I read religiously it, you know, I had read things like Sefer Yetzirah before Mm -hmm. years before Zohar. I'd read things like Sefer Yetzirah, but it never really touched me the same way that Zohar did. And I mean, I had hundreds of pages in front of my face all of a sudden. It wasn't the few small chapters of Sefer Yetzirah where I can like go read a hermetic interpretation. I was sitting there and I was looking down at a full, like multiple hundred page work Mm -hmm. uh, from 800 years before I was born, Mm. roughly. And it was absolutely enthralling. Everything about it was uh, mesmerizing. You know, I'd always liked mysticism and I knew a lot of general occult imagery from being a Mason and being invested in so many of these different spaces lightly. You know, I, I was always really big on symbols. Mm-hmm. Uh, and symbolic representation. And I had a knack for ritualistic practice already. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I was sitting there, like reading through this book and seeing how th- this very intense theological philosophy was capable of being shifted into something far more practical, which we would call modern Western occultism or modern Western magic. Um, it was just, yeah, it was amazing. You know, I, I really, I had felt like I had found the thing that I've been looking for for so long. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that evolved into a lot of other things. You know, over time, the Zohar evolved into Tikkuneha Zohar, also just general Kabbalah as a whole, uh, rabbinical stuff, Talmudic mm-hmm. things, uh, Mishnah, you know, mm-hmm. so Mishnah was a big piece for me. Um, because there is mysticism in those works, you just have to know what you're looking for, you know, Um you have to be able to kind of read between the lines. And sometimes the rabbinical sages will allude to it to kind of remind you that there's more to what you're reading than simply, uh, <laughs> you know, wash your hands and change your clothes after such and such an event. You know, there's there's a lot going on there, particularly those involved with the temple practices, which the Mishnah covers a lot of in Kodesh Kodeshin mm. or the Holy of Holies. Uh, also, the the ritualistic sacrifices are part of the Mishnah and the regulations and rules that are part of that. And um, there's a lot of mystery to that as well. So um, it has it, it was just, yeah, it was just eye opening for me, at least. OK, yeah, very interesting. Um, I, I come across a lot of people into the hermetic Kabbalah side. And so I think it'd be kind of enlightening if you could since you you have experience, you know, obviously studying the Jewish side and. It, from your channel, you definitely have some experience with, um, you know, these days, like you're going over in your recent videos, I saw you're going over like some Golden Dawn stuff and dilemmic concepts and, you know, the middle pillar and things along these lines. So what, uh, you know, what would you say are like some key differences between the Hermetic and the Jewish side? And now that you're kind of also studying the Hermetic side as well, are there innovations that you find that are kind of interesting or useful or that aren't, aren't necessarily in the Jewish side? Really quick. Could you hear that dog barking through the, through the <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard that. It's okay though. It's okay. All right. As long as you don't, as long as it doesn't bother you too much. I, I feel bad. I can't really regulate them whenever I'm in the room, uh, <laughs> okay. which okay. is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, no. Um, so there's a lot to be considered between the Hermetic and the Jewish side. And I think the main difference is really just the, I almost want to say the end goal, 
right? So mm-hmm. the the objective is different typically, and the manner by which it like represents itself is different. So uh, let's take a look at like path working and hermeticism, right? Mm-hmm. Now they do have this in Jewish Kabbalah as well, but nine times out of Tim, when you hear about path working and hermetic Kabbalah, you have a pretty good understanding of what this entails, right? This is a developmental process typically engaged through magical ritual that affects your life in a variety of ways. And then you are changing, you know, you're, you're developing these revelations. And particularly, there's this kind of perspective in this almost like classic sort of um, RPG kind of way of, of development, you know, and, and I don't mean that in a rude way. I just mean that's a very straightforward manner of looking at it. Sure. And then in the Jewish Kabbalah, these particular energetic forces, you don't really like touch them a whole lot. That's kind of the best way I can explain it. You know, they're more, they're far more just conceptual in nature. You know, there's a lot more uh, generalized metaphysics, but I find that the Jewish Kabbalah, while it has far more extravagant metaphysical like ideas, you know, like the chambers of Elohim and things like that, which are very complex, very strange, um, almost akin to the Aethers in a way, Mm-hmm. are at the same time not things that you just you don't just go hang out there you know what i mean like it's not yeah. like that kind of stuff. you don't perform a ritual and just go hang out in these spaces now mm. are there rabbanon in the past who have claimed to go to these different worlds and such historically speaking there are rabbanon who have claimed and made claim and many people have believed have actually been able to essentially go to these other places they have the capacity to do it through a particular level of personal holiness, uh, maybe a certain level of like revelation in the Torah and spiritual insights through the Kabbalah or the tradition, and are essentially far more of what we would see discussed in the Hermetic style. Now, granted, the manner by which they do this can be done through a variety of other ways, and they tend to focus more on uh, this theological component of Kabbalah, right? So in Hermeticism, there is, you know, the religion is still there in a way, you know, we see um, Mm -hmm. the usage of the divine names in the LBRP. We see a lot of reverence for the spherothic forms, right? Like uh, on their particular implements and everything like that, like the, the fire wand and the pentacle and the, the air dagger, the athame, Mm -hmm. right? They, they, they're inscribed with these particular names, which have purpose, but those correlations or correspondences, as we most often hear them called really do have, at the end of the day, a religious purpose. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I don't believe the HOGD uses it in a religious manner, but it is where it comes from. So in the Jewish Kabbalah, we see a lot more of this theological aspect. You know, I had mm-hmm. a, a person just earlier today, you know, ask me, like, uh, I learned some Jewish Kabbalah. I was studying the Zohar and stuff like that. I don't understand what to do. And I was like, of course mm-hmm. you don't, <laughs> because <laughs> to be honest, much of the traditional Kabbalah, particularly uh, the one that involved is involved in like the Zohar and such, you really do kind of practice Judaism for the most mm-hmm. part, you know, like all, all the particular revelations dealing with Shabbat, with davening, with uh, Devekut and like all the little mannerisms and such, um, you know, uh, Abraham Abu Lafia's uh, particular practices and such, like all these things f- come from a you know, a far more common spiritual background, one that we don't find in, you know, the hermetic order necessarily. uh, Yeah. As you're explaining this, um, it really, I thought of the analogy, like the Jewish Kabbalah, since it's sort of integrated with one theology, one sort of ontology and praxis being sort of like Apple where everything's 
you know, you have the Apple iOS, you have the Apple chips, you have the Apple system, everything's one sort of closed system, whereas an integrated, right? Whereas where you have the windows, you have all this third party software and you're throwing all these <laughs> things together, you know, sort of a mishmash, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Like the Hermetic Kabbalah, right? Is that a pretty good uh, comparison, would you say? I think that's a phenomenal analogy from what I've seen thus far. You know, uh, I mean, Jewish Kabbalah does have a variety of lineages, right? The Rabbanon don't always agree with each other and various rabbinical sages. Well, excuse me, I shouldn't say rabbinical sages because that refers to a very specific group of people. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the Rabbanon, when we think of someone like the Baal Shem Tov, right? or like Vilna of Gaon or Isaac Luria or Moshe Cordovero, like these, these very famous Kabbalistically inclined Rabbanan, mm -hmm. you know, they, they do, they have a student, a teacher student lineage, technically speaking, mm -hmm. and their particular take can be different and it may disagree with each other and it may be entirely oral. We don't fully know. You can't just walk up and find out, you know, the people aren't walking mm -hmm. around and they're like, Oh yeah. And then, you know, I've learned directly from the Baal Shem Tov. In fact, that's a modern argument today between Michael Leitman and uh, Robbie or Rav Berg, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is the Kabbalah Center for Berg and uh, KabbalahInfo.com or whatever. Uh, Michael Leitman did some some series or something like that back in the early 2000s or late 90s to try to spread Kabbalah. They both did attempt to spread Kabbalah and they both also claim to be students of mm -hmm. the lineage of the Baal Shem Tov. Um, Yehuda Ashlag. Mm -hmm. So those things can be very particular, but it always comes back down to the general theological practice of Judaism, right? Which again, it, it just, it gives them like a foundation to work with, right? Kabbalah branches off of that. We, we have an accepted series of texts, you know, and of course, everything is always going to run back down to the Torah. So we're really liberated from the overarching issue of um, like confusion and argumentation not to say that we don't argue because, you know, there's a lot of jokes about that. There's definitely plenty of argumentation to be done in the Kabbalah, mm -hmm. but it, it's different, um, I find. And, and in the Hermetic Kabbalah, you mentioned this idea of third party software mm -hmm. in, in many ways. Right. You know, it, it is because, I mean, what is the HOGD but a fusion of like uh, some alchemical imagery? some like far more modern Western occultism through its representations. Like, uh, you know, I mean, if we look at like Rider Waite Tarot, the four implements, you know, mm. we have something along the lines of like Masonic initiatic practices, you know, like right. by Masonic, I mean, specifically Freemasonry, you know. Uh, and then we have the incorporation of the magic that we would find popular with someone like Eliphas Levi, you know, so it's, it, it is, right. uh, I find that most of it is a mismatch. Um, now, is that bad or wrong? No, I don't think so. In fact, I believe that the HOGD does a pretty solid job. In mm -hmm. fact, I kind of feel the same way about Thelema as a whole, conceptually speaking. Now, in practice, all these things change. Once you start putting sure. human beings into the mix, it all changes. But, but it, it, it face value, you know, uh, it's all good. But yes, they're definitely a big conglomerate of a lot of different things. Many mm -hmm. of us are, you know. Yeah, very interesting. Um, to kind of go back uh, earlier on what you're saying about like pathworking and the hermetic style, um, a lot of it's like working in the astral and with these visualizations and uh, ceremonial magic and things along these lines, right? But on the uh, Jewish Kabbalistic side, is it more, would you describe it more as like mystical contemplation perhaps rather than this astral or magical workings? Is that sort of the, is that like a fundamental difference or is that? part of the practice it's 
it's strange because the answer is really yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, so for example, like I once did a video on candle meditation, meditation, right now that comes straight out of the Zohar. That's a particular meditation that comes out of the Zohar of, of concentrating on the candle flame and, uh, con- you know, meditating on the particular metaphysical interrelations that all the different physical symbols have in, you know, in relation to something much higher than just a literal physical candle. Right. And how you relate to that. It is a meditation. It mm-hmm. can induce a similar experience to kind of what we would see in the HOGD. Like you can have a, you know, very internal mental, almost like this idea of like an astral experience from that meditation. But is that really the goal? Not necessarily. It, it is again, contemplative in nature. That's kind of its, its base point. Um, so it, it's weird because, you know, like I said, it's like, it's inclusive. Like, yeah, technically they, they do relate in one way. Mm-hmm. But but is that really the main objective? I wouldn't say so. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in fact, I find that Jewish Kabbalah tends to be far more leveled out because everything always comes back down to how it impacts your daily life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like talking about the fifty gates of understanding, which I brought up a couple of times recently. Mm-hmm. You know, each gate of understanding is something you can literally do in the world, you know, I mean, like, what is it like gate 49 or 50 or whatever is, you know, properly quoting people who you cite, you know what I mean? So if you like quote someone, you, you say who it is. So that way you're not <laughs> taking, taking their information from them. Right. Giving um, props. <laughs> right. But if we were to look at the hermetic Kabbalah and I was like, yes, the gate of understanding. And I mean this in a dramatic way, I'm not being serious, but if you were to hear about the gates of understanding, you might be thinking about something very, very different than quoting someone. You know what I mean? So it's that sort of thing. Interesting. So there's a lot of emphasis on uh, the practical in the day in daily life and what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Interesting. Uh, You, you do draw a distinction between like the ultimate goal of the practice, right? So in a lot of the hermetic um, Kabbalah, it's sort of this theor theurgy basically, right? Sort of Mm -hmm. this uh, practice of high magic or uniting with the Godhead or what have you, right? With, um, uh the jewish kabbalah it's it uh i i know that actually i think i asked you this via chat but there are different interpretations too right you have somebody like david heim smith who's this not you know um non-dual right he's Uh, a non-emanationist yeah he's a non-emanationist yeah right but the majority are um stemming from an emanationist theory is that correct and what would you say okay and what would you say is the goal um for and the Jewish aspect, is this, is it sort of a divine worship? You know, it's a, uh, is it? Um... Well, there's a couple of stages in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously the immediate theological one is going to be messiahship, right? Now I don't mean personal messiahship. I mean, like literally like, uh, you know, as we would say in Hebrew, like Hamashiach, right. Uh, for the Messiah to show up, mm. uh, like actively, you know, which is similar to the Christians waiting for Jesus to come back. Right. That, that's really like, it's, that's kind of the goal, uh, uh, not including being a decent person and following the regulations of the mitzvahs or anything like that, but that is essentially one of the goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the mystical goals is, uh, tikkun ha'olam, right. Which is the rectification of the world. Mm-hmm. Now the rectification of the world is a very strange thing. And you can ask a couple of different people and they'll give you different answers on what it really means. Some people will say, Oh, it means making the world a better place here physically. 
Some people will say it's purely this spiritual component that involves like Yehudim, which is like the divine unifications. Uh, just these really intense spiritual revelations and like the world over, right? Like, so we, you know, as many of the new agers would say, we, we come to a new level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And then there's people who kind of mix them together. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, the world should be better. Spiritually, we should be better. And mm-hmm. the, the manner by which we define that changes. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, the, the general goals are typically not as self-interested, right? So that's something to say about the Jewish Kabbalah. They tend to not be as self-interested um, outside of like Kabbalah Ma'asit, right? Which is the practical, the, the talismanic Kamayot and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, because of its theological component, it does tend to really center itself on, you know, what we expect of common religion. And I don't mean that sure. in a rude way, but that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. In the Hermetic style, I find a lot more um, interest in <laughs> protecting oneself or, or changing, you know, your, in your nature or uh, exploring other worlds and things like that. And by other worlds, that's just a very dramatic way for me to say, you know, like the spherothic forms or something like that, which of course are conceptual in nature. And, mm-hmm. it, and you learn from those experiences, from those engagements and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, even my reform friends who study Zohar a lot, mm-hmm don't really they're not you know waving wands around or anything like that you know <laughs> so it's yeah, yeah. uh right. very different right okay yeah that's a very interesting explanation um i i have uh been reading or actually recently read some aaron leach's work and i know that you've been recently um working with some enochian stuff and he really uh in one of his uh books called the angelic language volume one he makes a lot of comparisons between uh the 50 gates of understanding um, and Libra Loga, Scrying the Aethers, um, and also a lot of parallels between Merkaba mysticism. And so uh, now that you've recently, you've just recently started getting into Nokian, I believe, right? Um, oh, yeah. It, very, very kind recently. Of a, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm kind of curious, like, do you see, uh, so, so I mean, do you see this being connected ultimately to Jewish mysticism, sort of like the uh, parallels that Leach is uh you know brings up in his books or do you, do you i see haven't read totally different i haven't read leech's works to confirm something like that okay. but what i can okay. say is just from entertaining the text uh of like john d's diaries which you know like like book six and things like that sure. i have realized that so kabbalah kabbalah is a tricky word and i'm gonna i'm gonna explain that um so when you when I'm reading a work like this, so you know, Enochian is predominantly Christian, right? It it has a lot of Christian influences, but at the same time, it has a lot of Kabbalistic influences. And the Christian Kabbalah is much bigger than we think it is. There's not a lot of books on it. There's not a whole lot to really get into it because they just kind of look at it as mystical Christianity. However, uh, the the influences that we see in like general occultism, particularly that of the Grimoric tradition, fused with the theological nature of Kabbalah, mm-hmm. um, and if you slam those two things together, Anokian shows up. You know that's really what I see. Uh, I see uh, a heavy emphasis on the idea of accessing spiritual spaces, right. uh, which is going to be typically a little bit more of the theological, almost theurgical kind of side of things but mm-hmm. at the same time the manner by which you do it is far more grimoire 
you know mm-hmm. so uh going yeah. into Enoki and I've seen a lot more of this kind of grimoire association of like how do you uh, how are they contacting these spirits what are they doing I mean they're scrying right they have psychics you know not, not to dog Edward Kelly you, you see what I'm <laughs> saying though sure. you know they have psychics and they have all these uh strange almost things that you would expect to see in Hollywood movies you know sure. uh sure and the the reliquary, I can't say that word, reliquary or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, these designated spaces, this far more traditional conception of magical practice in the Western style fused with all these big spiritual components that we see in something like the Zohar. Now, mm-hmm. I have not seen a lot of general Zohar reference or anything like that, but in terms of what you might find in something like the Christian Kabbalah, this particular um, Jesus emphasis, uh, using divine names to have dominion over something. Okay. Now that's, that's old school, right? That's not, uh, right. I can't even claim that from Zohar or the grimoire tradition. That's just pretty much as classic as it gets. Right. Um, in fact, uh, if you really get into the Bible, uh, this is, this is where everyone's going to fall out, right? Because I just said <laughs> the word Bible. Uh, if you, if you really get into the, the Bible, uh, it's believed. So, you know, Moses kills an Egyptian guy, right? Do you know about that? I've heard something about that. Yeah, I don't know the details. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Moses watches this Egyptian like uh, you know taskmaster or whatever uh, like beating this uh, slave, mm-hmm. and he kills him. But it doesn't really describe how he kills him. And the belief is that he uttered uh, one of the divine names properly mm-hmm. on purpose, and mm-hmm. just guy dies. <laughs> so I mean, this is one. It's like one of the most old school ideas out there is that the the employment of divine names to cause something to happen it's very very old mm-hmm. um and we find or at least i find time and time again in the grimoire tradition even even the solomonics you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. like uh, i've met some really edgy solomonics out there and they're just like yeah i work with demons i'm like do you though do you really because i mean you got all these names of god and crap written around all over your circles and everything you know it's just it's it, it's a cute little conception that's lasted through history for a very very long time and right. i think that holds some weight you know um and yeah. that is also very popular in the Zohar. The usage of divine names is uh, massive. Also, just in Judaism, right? Just just from metaphysical analysis in general, Judaism is very important. Uh, I don't know if that actually answered the question, by the way. <laughs> I tried I mean, to. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting, though, that just recently you've uh, started um, kind of diving into Nokian. It's been something how you kind of mentioned that uh, the Zohar for you, you're sort of instantly attracted to it and then you know, you came across a book and you started doing this. It's almost like you went down the rabbit hole. That's kind of how I've been uh, with Enochian for the past couple of years. So it, it is one of those systems that is so complex and there's so many diaries to go through and so many interpretations on practice. And um, the one thing that I find common though in Enochian is that if you actually do it, it has almost instantaneous effects like other things yeah. like, like meditation, you have to, or pranayama, these are things like you build up on, right? Or other magical practices like the LBRP, mm-hmm. but pretty much everyone I've talked to who, who's actually done an Enochian, let's say scrying text, scrying one of the aethers, like they instantaneously have, instantaneously have a very dramatic effect on their consciousness and have visual, uh, either visual auditory or other sort of experiences, right? So I find that yeah. very, very fascinating. It's almost like it works right out of the package, right? Like it's, it's uh, potent, so to speak. See- so. Yeah. That's what's that's what's so interesting about it, right? So I even did a quick live stream today about it, just because, um, you, you know, I again I love Zohar, 
you know, I love all the stuff that I do. I mean, I've even got two, these are technically spherothic diagrams, right? This is a perfected tree and that is just a single circle, both of which represent the same thing, technically mm. speaking. Mm. Um, and even having so much time uh, in these spaces, right? Because uh, even though I'm not really much of a hermeticist, doesn't mean I haven't done anything with it before. And of course, those are very interesting situations and all that. Um, even just the intellectual aspect of mysticism can be very changing, even though it doesn't look ritualistic, it by its very nature, you have an object of focus, you put effort into it and energy into it. And you're literally sucking information out of this piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Um which I know that's not that entertaining to people, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it is relatively the same in some, some regards. Mm. Uh, the objective simply is to learn, right? So if you were to like, well, what's your intention of this? Well, it's to learn. <laughs> it's a very quick way to do it too. But uh, Enochian, uh, the reason I even made the discussion today and I've committed myself to it is because I did something very similar. I was like, you know what? I want to learn this. I have this massive book with me that a friend bought for me, an Eastern Orthodox priest bought this for me when I graduated college and I never opened it. Mm. And I have some friends who are really into Enochian and, uh, and I started discussing it with them and they were like, yeah, just do this, just say this, say this. Uh, and I, you know, just kept reading. I didn't really do anything. I just kept reading until I came across uh, book six mm -hmm. and uh, where they actually have the 19th call or whatnot. And I was like, oh, you know, okay, cool. This was like 3 a.m. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go give it a whirl. I mean, I'm here <laughs> by myself anyway. I might as well. You know what I mean? I got nothing going on. And the dogs were asleep. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was interesting because I could feel something was happening mm -hmm. before I even got to finish. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like the uh, the strangeness, I don't even know how to explain exactly what it was that I was experiencing aside from um, aside from a simple uneasiness, not a lack of comfort, but a simple uneasiness that started like welling up. And uh, and I was just like, I'm just going to keep reading. Right. You know, and then, of course, the further and further I went, almost uh, the intensity of it kind of grew uh, slowly but surely. Right. Up until the point that I hit, you know, a meditative state coming out of it. And I just kind of sat there and had a very strange, um, really, honestly, the kind of experience that I think a lot of people want, you know, uh, right. it, it in no way was affirming, mm -hmm. uh, didn't boost my ego, gave me zero sense of pride. In fact, it made me feel very, very small uh, and really out of, out of my own head mm -hmm. uh, is almost like a, uh, like a spiritual drug in a way. Right, and, right. Uh, Almost yeah. like a mini psychedelic experience. That's how it is for me as well. It's like that sort of you mentioned something's changing. You feel kind of uneasy. It's almost like the acid's about to kick in and things are sort of the nerves are coming in and you feel something changing. And then you have a visionary experience and you kind of ride it out to that smooth, you know, yeah. after, afterglow and uh, things in your ego are sort of exposed and what have you. Right. And yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's a very uh, interesting system. So uh, looking forward to, um, I mean, your content's great. So I'm looking forward to, if you put any uh, Enochian stuff out there, I'll definitely put that, uh, you know, link <laughs> that up and everything. But um, uh, to go back to an earlier, we're going on all these tangents here, but, uh, you know, the Zohar has really been an area of focus. What, I mean, it's, it's almost, it seems inaccessible for many people, right? It's this huge book. It's, um, it's almost daunting in any way. Where would you recommend somebody who listens to this podcast, they're like, oh, wow, this is, you know, I'm really resonating with this. Where would you recommend them to start? Are there like 
you know, are there sort of uh, <laughs> like primers for it or like, or even a method of studying it that you would recommend? Or is it sort of, sort of just, you have to figure it out on your own kind of thing? What would you say? There's three ways to read Zohar. And I, I covered this a couple of years ago. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard of him, but there's another channel called Esoterica. And oh, yeah. I think he he also covered this in a recent discussion because it is something that needs to be talked about. I think a lot of people it, it's so the thing about the Zohar, it's, it's intimidating, right? Mm -hmm. It's intimidating. The language is weird. In fact, a lot of people, we really just don't have the mindset for it. Um, we don't have the particular like grammatical and linguistic style to really see like where something's supposed to be important mm -hmm. and where something's just supposed to be like text which everything in Zohar is important, by the way, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so the main recommendation I would make is there really isn't a primer. If, if you want to do general Kabbalah and then do Zohar later, maybe read Reshit Hokmah, which is Beginning of Wisdom. It's free on Safaria. Uh, maybe read Hagiga 12b to get some like older, more Talmudic understandings of like the layers of the world of Yetzirah. Uh, because that is what that's about. I've done a couple talks about that in private. I have them recorded. If anyone ever wants to see them, I'll just give it to them. Um, it's unlisted. Uh, maybe <laughs> familiarize yourself with uh, some of the Kabbalistic expectations in the Judaic style, because it is a little different, like seems to and everything like that, mm -hmm. uh, particularly from a rabbinical perspective. That's a big deal because it will fluctuate, you know, like if you talk to a Thelemite about Seam Zoom, it's not the same as talking to a rabbinical person about it, because what is important to each character is different, right? The objective mm -hmm. is different, as I mentioned earlier, which changes the way you look at the information. Uh, your end goal shifts everything about your paradigm and how you approach something that you're reading. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you really want to do it, though, you know, even if you think the Zohar is intimidating, uh, Pick up something easy like the Berg translation. Skip mm. those first couple hundred pages of the prologue. Go straight to Bereshit or Genesis and uh, just start reading it. Um, read the first chapter. I mean, the chapters are relatively short. You know, read the first chapter. Uh, if you don't understand anything, read it a second time. Uh, you might get a little bit more. You might not get anything. And if you don't, keep reading. Uh, don't repeat it over and over and over again go on to the next pieces and the reason you do that is because you're familiarizing yourself with the language and the metaphysical scenario that's going on you have to think about it contextually like in what order are these things occurring what's happening here why is it happening here maybe try to visualize it a little bit don't go too crazy with that because it is um intangible right the, the process of emanation particularly in the early section of Bereshit, has no real manifestable nature to it mm. um and the thing about the Zohar that I think bugs a lot of people, even if they don't know about it, is you'll receive the answer to something in one chapter, mm -hmm. 200 pages later. Now, you don't, yeah, you don't know that, you know, they're not doing the same discussion at that point. But the thing that you didn't get on page like 200, mm -hmm. when you read page 400, page 200 makes perfect sense all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So that's a really common issue. Um, I, I wouldn't even really call it an issue. They, they kind of just expect you to know it. You really do have to just become super familiar with the information. If you strictly like metaphysics, mm -hmm. at least read through Bereshit, um, which I think for like the Berg translation is just volume one and two. I know. I know there's like 23 volumes or whatever. Or it's, oh, wow. Truly, there's 22, but there's like an extra one, I think, mm -hmm. uh, if I can remember correctly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, just 
you know, uh, General Barashid is very good. And the thing is, when you hit Exodus and all that uh, and beyond, uh, you will see that there is a lot of um, more and more theological things. They start talking about things that are far more relative to Judaism. Right. So I find that a lot of people struggle with that part because learning Judaism in and of itself is already a task. Like that's a that's a huge task because, you know, many people who ever pick up the Zohar and want to actually know it were not raised in a Jewish environment, nor do they understand the intricacies of Shabbat or anything like that. In fact, I will, you know, am one of those people. It took me a very, very long time and a lot of dedication to actually get to the point where I was like, okay, I see what's going on here now. You know, uh, it's it's a very long road, um, but that shouldn't scare anybody. You know, I, I believe that it is accessible far more than we think it is. It's just not, um, you know, you, you're not just going to go pick up uh, basic witch. You know what I mean? From right. your local Barnes and Noble and walk out with it and be, you know, just be able to flip to whatever page and finish it in a couple hours. You know, it's it's. Um, Right. In reality, Kabbalah is very much like a lifelong pursuit. Like I will never, you don't finish Kabbalah. It never ends really. And if someone tells you that they know all the secrets of Kabbalah, they're absolutely full of it because <laughs> you can't, you can't actually finish. In sure. My sure. Uh, would you say there's a lot of value, um, you know, to studying the Zohar and these texts, even if one it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have an affinity for the Jewish worldview or Ju- Judaism in general. Would you say yes. there's value for, you know, occultists or atheists or, you know, people in general? It's not so much about whether it's a, an atheistic or theistic person. The reason it's valuable, the best way for me to put this is in an occult world, far too often we contextualize our information purely in the mental sphere right? Uh, we are lovers of learning nine times out of 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that we incorporate that into our daily life for a ceremonialist, for example, is going to be through magical operation, right? Uh, for someone who's not a ceremonialist, it may just, you know, give us some general insight. The, the power of the Zohar, and I know that sounds cringy, but th- this is really <laughs> my full insight uh, of it. The power of the Zohar is it allows you to emotionally incorporate things, it has a special advantage, and I don't know why exactly. I don't know exactly where it comes from, but it has the, the acute advantage of being able to connect you emotionally to something rather than just intellectually and physically. And I find that nine times out of 10, that tends to be the most difficult thing for many people to do. Uh, whenever you're, for example, when you're dealing with, um, okay, let's just simple example. I didn't get to talk about this in the live stream, so this will be a great opportunity. Um, when you're doing the LBRP and you're reciting the God names and all that, uh, or not reciting, but you know, you have the God names within the, the four pentagrams, right? Sure. My relationship to those God names is very different than the average, well, not average, but the, the general person's relationship to those God names in an occult sphere, because I literally have an emotional connection to them. They, they incorporate themselves some way into the world of which I am a part of, not just as oh, this is a very powerful divine name, or um, it's mentally, like I, I'm not just thinking like, oh, it's associated with this ferrote or this particular nature, or it's you know uh, used in this particular area of like Torah or something like that. Like, no, like there's, there's a, a push behind it. There's some sort of resonance that I can feel uh, connected to because it plays a role in the greater schema 
of all these things. And that emotional state is very effective. Um, and I, be, I believe that because it's so neglected, we see a lot of different issues in occultism as a whole. Um, in fact, the main emotion that is associated with cult, occultism in the modern era, in my opinion, is desperation <laughs> and also anger. I believe that desperation uh, and anger, anger also including frustration in this case, are the, the two main emotions that get associated with magical practices with most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not always the case, obviously. Some people are just doing the ritual out of the sake of doing something repetitively, you know, uh, so there may be no real emotion at all other than melancholy. But uh, to be able to actually experience something and to feel close to a practice in that way, without needing the years and years of development of just doing it over and over again until all of a sudden you feel close to it is a big deal. Like, I mean, like, I don't say Michael, right? I don't say like Michael at my right hand, I say Mikhail, right? And that's a much older rendition of the same characterization. It, it has a very um, special place, you know, in the greater scheme of metaphysics that I do have an emotional connection to. Therefore, you know, I believe in a particular manner that that helps me very greatly. Mm, okay. Yeah, very interesting. Sounds almost like more grounded in daily reality versus a name that you might vibrate to have some sort of specific magical effect. That, yes. that seems like a key distinction. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, speaking of practices, we're talking a lot about different practices, but we haven't really talked about your own. So do you have specific daily practices or regular practices that you do? Maybe not daily, but you know, periodically yeah. or you know well along those lines yeah. for the longest time it was just shema right uh which is the the daily prayers uh some of the particular judaic prayers i've been into which are actually part of just general orthodoxy i mean they're part of a judaism in general but general orthodoxy tends to really go to town on these um to make sure that they maintain it and everything like that. So that was what I was doing for the longest time. Uh, when I was really engaged in Freemasonry, this was uh, the particular practice of the ceremonies, particularly the initiatic ones. Um, now, as time went on, particularly when I realized that I was having a problem, I uh, getting interested in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn am now obsessed with LBRPing and middle pillaring and all that, which I believe that all those things are just a big grounding ritual, by the way. I know some people would hate to hear me say that, you know, but it's just I, I do. I see many of them as, as just really elaborate grounding rituals, you know, uh, LBRP, the particular banishing, followed up by the meditative and balancing state of the middle pillar ritual, followed by you might do an adeptive meditation or is it the neophyte? Maybe I can't remember which one it is, Mm -hmm. but the particular meditation that can come post that at least by recommendation of one of my friends. And then you run right back into another grounding practice. You know, the the whole thing is just a big grounding ritual in my opinion. So, uh, but also the, the, the repetition of it is very good. And of course, every occultist who wants to be taken seriously is going to say that they're all going to be, Oh, daily practice is a big deal. In fact, people who don't do daily practice spew that because they know that people want to hear that. It's almost like a moniker of a, <laughs> of a committed. And no, really though, come on. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know you're like talking about the yeah. moniker. It's like, uh, do you even, do you even lift bro? Do you even LBRP bro? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right. Pillar, bro? <laughs> Whoa. You didn't do general invocation this morning before you woke up or after you woke up. That's total trash, man. Total fucking trash. It's like skipping leg day, you know? Right. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that of course I'm going to promote daily ritual, but by God, who doesn't, you know what I mean? Who doesn't? Um, 
but my particular practices, yeah, they've expanded because I got bored. Um, the Judaic stuff has always worked really well for me, even though it's particularly just the theological practices, right? Uh, I have had Kabbalistic practices, but none of those were ever daily. They were always particular to a particular, or they were always specific to a particular scenario or situation. Like maybe I wanted to have a meditative experience or I wanted to be able to reflect a little bit on something. That's where something like the general candle meditation would come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a variety of different Kabbalistic meditations though, which would take forever to even really get into. Sure. Um, but then of course, incorporating GD stuff uh, was really fun for me. You know, I mean, in no way was it really foreign because the Zohar uses a lot of the general symbolism that we see in GD, but just on a much more extravagant scale. Sure. Uh, so making that transition was quite simple. And uh, I had already been familiar with the implements and stuff like that. And who hasn't heard of the LBRP? So uh, adding that in has essentially become the main segment of my daily stuff is exactly what I was doing with the tack on of the golden or hermetic order of the golden dawn stuff. And now out of pure interest alone, uh, Enochian. Uh, And I don't know exactly what cued in all the Enochian stuff, because in fact, the one friend who knows a lot about it that I really wanted to learn with told me that I was not ready. And I was like, yeah, screw you. I'm going to do it anyway. And now now they're helping me, (laughs) relatively speaking. Yeah, very interesting. Um, All right, cool. Uh, Your channel is really interesting. Um, What I'm curious is like, what inspired you to start the channel? And are there any like future projects coming up or um, any sort of, uh, I noticed you've been doing a lot more live streams and things along these lines. So uh, can you share a little bit about, you know, the creation of the channel, kind of the direction you're taking these days? Okay, so the channel was made uh, because when I was a Freemason, uh, I was part of the academic groups, right? So I gave a couple of lectures around my state. And when I gave a lecture, people really liked it, but I didn't get to do a whole lot of them uh, because I was very young. You know what I mean? Not only that, not all lodges want to have a lecturer all the time. It can be very irritating for some of the members and stuff. They don't want to sit there and listen to anybody talk about something. Um, So that was irritating. And I remember feeling a sense of frustration with also just like the general online occult world. I didn't know about the occult world on the internet. I thought it didn't exist. All I knew was that spirit science existed. And that drove me absolutely (laughs) insane. Oh, no, really? I hated it. (laughs) Hated it so much. (laughs) So um, after I'd been invested in the Corpus Hermeticum and also been learning a little bit about Druidism, uh, very lightly about Druidism through the Masonic lens, uh, and a variety of other bodies, even basic Kabbalah and such. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to make a YouTube channel. And it was hilarious because I didn't know anything about graphic design. I'd never made a video before. Um, I barely was making music uh, because I thought it was fun. Like I did it as a hobby. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just, I woke up and I remember the first image I ever made was an eight pointed star mm-hmm. and, uh, and a yod. It was the letter Yo, the Hebrew letter Yo in the middle of it. And that was, that was it. That was my, my moniker, so to say. And I named it the Nimiton because uh, when I was so into Druidism, uh, Druidism Mm -hmm. from that Masonic lens, I felt like that was a good um, synchronistic symbol, right? So when you think about the world of Bina and such, uh, or the Sferot Bina and the world of Bria, we see this particular, um, grove concept you know these gardens right gone um 
for example, like there's Ghana Den, right? The Garden of Eden, but where is Eden? You know, no, no one really asked that, which is <laughs> kind of a funny little thing because uh, it also says a river runs out of Eden to water the garden. So Eden and the Garden of Eden are not actually even the same place, which is kind of funny. I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, it's just a little tidbit for people's entertainment, I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, this idea of the garden, right, was a big portion of the naming process, Um but yeah, so you know, I made it because I, I hated spirit science and I couldn't find an outlet and I wanted an outlet. I wanted to find a, an esoteric community and I couldn't find one. So I thought I would just make one. Mm. Um, I was a terrible video maker. Uh, I was really, really bad. Uh, and some of those videos are still up. You know, I, I've left them up as, as a remembrance of how much I changed. Uh, and then one day... Uh, remember, um, I had, I had like 1200 subscribers at this point, somehow, I don't know why they followed me, my God. Um, <laughs> and I remember, uh, I had a camera, one of my family members cameras, like, you know, just like a little snap camera that also had video properties to it. And that was when I made the, um, what is occultism and why I love it video. Mm. And that changed everything, you know, cause I had done a couple of live, like, like more live videos off of the computer uh, mm-hmm. which is like my monad video and my freemasonry and kabbalah video mm-hmm. um which is when i was getting used to actually being on camera mm-hmm. and uh but yeah the what is occultism and why i love it video is the one that changed everything and and after that things really started ramping up you know i had a really weird spiritual experience which mm-hmm. is where the character of the nematon comes from right okay. so the mask the black mask yeah the mask and the talit and everything like that yeah so that all comes from that particular spiritual experience um and yes things have developed like crazy right there's been i've done so many different styles i've had so many different types of videos so many different subjects uh lightly covered and touched on Mm -hmm. Uh, most of them i try to do is introductory and i've been told that typically that is not what happens they're not they're not advanced but they're not introductory either so they're in this weird limbo Mm -hmm. of um not everyone gets it. And then some people do, and you know, some people who are really advanced feel like it's not enough for them, but they still acknowledge that it's like not beginner friendly. It's, Mm. it's weird. It's a, it's a weird situation. Um, I think it's a great channel because it, um, I mean, I think that especially for, I guess you would say GD or Thelemic occultists, it's good because it gives you a different lens to view things through and it gives you different understandings, different interpretations. And you're coming from uh, obviously more of a uh, traditional Jewish practice, which I think, and, and obviously your own experiences and your own studies and things like that. Right. And so I think that um, all too often, it's easy to get stuck into one worldview or reality tunnel where uh, you're bringing at least a different perspective and opinion to the table, which I think is really where a lot of the value, at least when I watch your videos, I can only speak for myself. Right. But that's, uh, that's at least where I get the value. Well, thank so. you. I'm, I'm glad to know that, you know? Um, and of course it's funny because in learning so much Jewish Kabbalah, I have become very interested in things like Thema and like the hermetic orders and, uh, mm-hmm. even more back into Freemasonry. Like I was originally and now Enochian, you know, it, it, it has allowed me to find great interest in a variety of spaces. Mm-hmm. But, um, I guess, uh, what was the other part of the question? Oh, where am I going with it? Right. right, right. <laughs> okay. So that is a very complicated question. Currently, 
many people have noticed that I'm not able to maintain the same audio quality I used to have. And I am a bit of a perfectionist. That's, that's to be known. I'm a bit of a, of a perfectionist. I care very greatly about like my backdrops, even, you know what I mean? Right. I just, I do, <laughs> I, I, I care about these things. Um, I'm, I'm very much about presentation. Uh, so currently I'm doing the live streams because that's the most convenient thing for me. Uh, the standard videos I plan to have come back really in full swing once I can get back to the quality that I'm used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's not everything. I don't know if you saw it, but I did a light little LBRP animation. It's a very, very simple animation, but it's three dimensional. Uh, mm -hmm. I did it in after effects. It took me a couple hours because I'm not adept at 3d animation in any way, shape or form. Mm. So the real goal, I had a guy ask me this one time, uh, what, what is it that I want to do? I essentially want to eventually one day, <laughs> just repeated myself three times, have full blown videos. And what I mean by full blown is like, wh when I talk about something, I almost want you to be able to see exactly how I imagine it, not mm. to control how you imagine it, but to just give you more insight into what it is that I'm thinking about. Like I would like for people to be able to see these weird metaphysical scenarios almost as prop as perfectly as I could possibly express it through my own imagination put into video form. Will that take forever? Probably so. Um, would it be amazing for a variety of people? Yeah, totally. It'd be really great. You know, it would be, uh, in fact, in my personal opinion, it would probably be mesmerizing. It would be the final stamp of everything that I could possibly do. Mm -hmm. Um, in the meantime, though, uh, with the live streams and stuff, one thing that, of why I'm even doing the live streams with my audio not being as good is because I really, when I became obsessed with production, mm -hmm. right, when I was making live streams because I said I would, when I was making videos just because I had to put something out and I still wanted it to be a certain thing, but I had to put something out in my mind. You know, I became addicted to the idea of the cycle. Many creators become addicted to that. And I had a lot of support at the time who, that do that, you know, when they were like, hey, regular uploads, just if, you, if it's not what you want it to be, just put it out anyway. And that was really detrimental for me personally. That is not right. my idea of making right. content. So you you uh you gain in the algorithms, but you lose in your soul and the, the content of uh, the sort of integrity and the image of what or the, the, the overall vision of what you're trying to put out there. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the videos that I put out before the Babylon video. You know what I mean? The videos that I was putting out before then, the candle meditation video doesn't count because I've been thinking about that video for months before that video went out. The Babylon video I've been thinking about for a while, too. You can tell that those two videos have a certain level of personality and soul to them that a great majority of the other ones don't have the same advantage and they don't have that same care and excitement in them. You know, you can see the, the ingenuity that I put into some of the visuals and stuff like that, just to try to express something. Mm -hmm. um, or in the Babylon video, I had a lot of fun, mm -hmm. you know, the, the music choices, the, the live portions into the visual portions, the ending, right. Many people like the ending. Mm -hmm. It's all of those decisions were things that I felt inspired to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and having that inspiration to actually do something um, is really integral, in my opinion, to the occult experience. The occultism and humanity are one and the same. You know, you can't really pull mysticism out of the human being and, and have it exist of its own accord outside of that because it demands us as the main component for it to even exist to begin with.
Mm -hmm. Same thing for religion and theology. So the, the humanity has to be maintained. Otherwise, you have nothing but dead words. And mm -hmm. for for a few of the videos in the past that I had made, I felt like like they were dead words. Not that they were incorrect. The videos were so accurate in terms of an intellectual standpoint or an informational standpoint, mm -hmm. but that uh, almost artistic aspect had completely died. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I, I felt like I became disconnected from the people who I originally wanted to really enjoy the videos and everything like that. And they still like the stuff I make and I still enjoy them. Mm -hmm. So my plan was, well, while I'm waiting, I'm just going to do live streams as mm -hmm. much as possible, as mm -hmm. conveniently as possible to, you know, talk with them, to, to sure. be engaged with them, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, good. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to, um, you know, your future videos. And I do like the direction the channel's taking. I do like, uh, I do really look forward to the, um, the, uh, like 3D animations and stuff like that. <laughs> I think that sort of, uh, you know, the coming together of like mysticism and esotericism and technology is an area that really fascinates me as well. So look forward to that. But um, yeah, I think we have to uh, probably have to call it here. But all um, right. Maybe you can let the listeners, where can people find you? You know what? Uh, I think you have a Patreon as well. Maybe you can share. Um, oh, some yeah. Information. Yeah. Yeah. So I am uh, youtube.com slash the Nimiton, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty quick to find just on online unless you pick up Teen Witch because there's a scene called the Nimiton, unfortunately for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm on like Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, you can see it now on the live stream. I'm going to have it as a little banner at the base and everything. So it's really easy to figure out where I am. Uh, but yeah, the main space is the YouTube channel. You know, you can always get in touch with me there. I, I pretty much respond to every single comment I've ever had. And I think my record right now is somewhere around like 40,000 comments or something like that. Oh, I've had a wow. lot. Wow. Yeah. What, what video is that on? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Not one video. I mean, collect. Oh, okay. I was going to say, wow, this is a, that's a real viral video right there. Yeah, no, I, w I wouldn't have 13,000 subs if I had a video with 40,000 Right. I was like, it. oh, yeah. <laughs> not right. Yeah. Okay, cool. You're very, um, very responsive on there. All right. Well, I'll uh, include the link to your YouTube channel and other, um, you know, other things like your Patreon and social media in the show notes. And okay. thanks for coming on. And until next time. Hey, well, thanks for having me. Have a good one. You too.